All right. Welcome back to the Reformed Rant. Guys, we have a true mess on our hands. And the mess that we have on our hands, we've had on our hands for a very long time. And the mess is not the Ahmad Arbery case. That's not the mess. The Ahmad Arbery case is demonstrating to us the mess that we have on our hands. And the mess that I'm talking about is the utter lack of leadership that we have in the SBC churches. From J.D. Greer right on through to all these leaders and many of the pastors in the SBC. Now, this isn't this doesn't apply to every single pastor in the SBC because there are good pastors in the SBC. There are really good churches in the SBC. There are some churches who are struggling to be good churches, some pastors who are struggling to be good pastors and good leaders and kind of missing the mark. And then there's a whole bunch that just aren't worth a darn. Um, and they're not worth much because they're not concerned about the right things. They're concerned about earthly, worldly things. Their thinking is shaped by a pagan culture that hates God and His Word top to bottom. All right. Uh, I'm going to be talking about the Aubrey case and some statements that are coming out from J.D. Greer and others regarding uh, this incident that are irresponsible, inexcusable, reprehensible, and ungodly. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Well, we have a whole lot of lying going on. Jimmy Swaggart used to sing a song where there's a whole lot of people going home. I tell you what, there's a whole lot of lying going on right now where the SBC is concerned. And this is just unconscionable. Um, I am ashamed. Um, that I have to refer to myself as a member in an SBC church because I, I really don't have the most positive feelings in the world toward the SBC right now. And I, I don't know that I ever have, but um, it's the church that I love, not the SBC. I have very little use for the organization uh, and what I'm seeing right now from leaders, pastors, seminary presidents, um, committee heads, is um, deplorable. This is back to the 
back to the Arbery case down in Georgia and how Christians ought to think about it, how we ought to talk about it, what we should do in light of it. Now, that, I'm going to say this. On February 23rd, there were, I don't know how many tragedies in this country, but there were a lot. There's a lot of tragedies in this country that happen every single day. And I don't know a pastor who could stand up and mention those tragedies, all of them, every day, every Sunday, and give them fair representation. But we sure stood up this last Sunday at the behest of the SBC convention, organization, denomination, and gave this one lots of attention. And the question is why? Why, why this tragedy? Why this incident? Why? What makes this incident unique? What makes it unique? Well, before I say, get into what is, is going on with the SBC and J.D. Greer and folks, I want to ask the question, what does the Bible say? And there, the Bible says a ton. But I'm going to give, I'm going to give you two verses. Two sections of scripture. Proverbs 24, verses 23 through 25 says, These also are sayings of the wise. To show partiality in judgment is not good. He who says to the wicked, you are righteous. Peoples will curse him. Nations will abhor him. But to those who rebuke the wicked will be delight and a good blessing will come upon them proverbs 18 verses 5 through 8 to show partiality to the wicked is not good nor to thrust aside the righteous in judgment a fool's lips bring strife and his mother calls for blows a fool's mouth is his ruin and his lips are the snare of his soul. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Actually, that's body. So, <clears throat> let's walk through this. Don't show partiality and judgment in the name of trying to look like you're fighting for racism. It is not good. Do not claim that a wicked man is actually righteous. This is what you do when you say an innocent black man was just out for a jog. You are claiming in context that he was righteous. There was, in other words, he was innocent of anything. Of He just wasn't guilty of any crime at the time. And people are still saying this. He wasn't guilty of any... And you, you point out, well, he was trespassing. Is that not suspicious activity? Good grief. Look, people are going to hold on to whatever they want to hold on to no matter what the facts say. They're going to believe whatever they want to believe. This is not wise. 
Number three, rebuke wicked men. Rebuke wicked behavior. It is delightful, pleasant, even lovely to do so. This is according to the saying of the wise men. Do not show partiality to the wicked. It is not good. Are we not doing that? Are we not showing partiality to a criminal? I don't care what color his skin is. That's accidental. Do not ignore the innocent in judgment. Do not ignore the innocent in judgment. Are the McMichaels not being ignored completely? They're being called murderers. You can't call this a murder without implying they are murderers. Are they murderers? We have no reason based on the evidence available to us to conclude that these men are murderers. We have no reason to conclude this is racial in any sense of the word. A fool's mouth is his ruin. His lips are a snare of his soul. Now, what is the SBC doing? Well, they're ignoring the wisdom of God in these Proverbs for sure. J.D. Greer calls this a crucial opportunity to share the love of Christ in a letter that was sent out to SBC pastors. The letter was signed by J.D. Greer, Marshall Osbury, and Noel Garcia. He says, one thing that some of our brothers and sisters of color find difficult is the feeling that they go through this alone. The feeling that their white brothers and sisters remain relatively unaffected by these injustices and mostly unengaged. Why would they feel that way? There was a little girl in Brooklyn just the other day who was stomped into the sidewalk brutally by 18 other black boys, high school-aged kids. She was 15. They were probably somewhere around 14 to 17, maybe a year younger than that. I don't, I don't know. There was 18 of them. Started with one boy. And the one thing that I paid particular attention to on that video is that there were young black men, young men, high school-aged kids running from a half a block away. They could be seen running down the sidewalk to join in what had already started. Could they have possibly had any clue what started it? No. They just ran mindlessly, stupidly, maliciously to join in the stomping of this young girl. Where's the outrage there? What about that incident? So we have this young 15-year-old girl who really didn't do anything to deserve that. I don't know how anyone could ever do anything to deserve that. It was malicious. It was intentional. It was deliberate. And that's obvious. You can, I mean, it's obvious. 
This is one you can observe and go, wow, oh my gosh. Just knocked her down and started stomping on her. And all these other boys came running to stomp on her. And at the end, when no, there wasn't a man around who came in to stop this or break it up. It took an older black woman who had to be a grandma, old enough to be a grandma. She was my age at least screaming at these boys to stop. And they finally did. They almost killed her. She's lucky to be alive. Lucky to be alive. And at the end, one of those young black boys, it wasn't enough that they stomped her into the ground. He can be seen on the video taking her shoes off and leaving with them. Now it was reported a day later, a couple of days later, not long after this happened, one of those boys got shot dead. Was it related to this or not? Maybe. Likely. I don't know. I'm not going to chase that story. I don't care to chase that story because... If I chase, why that story? Why chase that one? If I chase that one, why not chase them all? And do you know how many of them there are to chase? There isn't enough hours in the day. You could never chase them all. Why, why pick certain stories to chase? I mean, we claim to be after justice, and if, if we're after justice, we're after truth. Right? We want the truth. What goes on in the decision process to chase these stories? How do I decide? What's my criteria for identifying a situation, picking it up, and removing it from its category of a thousand other situations, tragedies, and focusing on it? What goes into that decision? Why would I do that? Well, in the letter that sent to the SBC pastors, J.D. Greer calls this a crucial opportunity to share the love of Christ. Well, it is an opportunity for the church to share the love of Christ. It's the, it is an opportunity for the church to shine her light. It is an opportunity to minister grace to everybody involved. The problem with the SBC is their hypocritical approach to sharing the love of Christ, you see, because they picked Arbery's family and left the McMichaels out. Why would you do that? If you really want justice, you have to want truth. And if you're going to share the love of Christ, if that's really what you're trying to do, you would share it to everybody. But the fact that J.D. Greer and SBC pastors have focused on Arbery tells me they're not really, love isn't really the driving factor. Love isn't the primary objective. There's something else 
that is primary here. And it isn't love. It is this. We want to look a certain way to a certain group of people. We want to show special sensitivity to the black community because of racism a hundred or slavery 150 years ago racism that exists in our society whether you buy into systemic racism or not and I don't this is the idea look there are racists in this country black and white and brown and yellow and of all shades and and stripes they're out there. In a pagan culture, you're going to expect there, there, are, there are racists here, there are adulterers here. Why do we want to purge the country of racism but not adultery? Adultery is a much bigger problem. Racism is not a massive problem in America, properly defined. It isn't. It is a problem. It's not an epidemic. The country isn't falling apart because there are still some racists here. You're not going to eliminate racism from society. There are just as many racists in the black community as there are in the white community, as there are in the yellow community, as there are in the brown community, period. That is the wrong focus. The focus must be the gospel. It cannot be appearing a certain way to certain groups of people. When you do that, what you end up doing is ignoring, compromising, setting aside truth. And that's what's happening right now. We are desperate to be perceived as fighting racism and oppression. And out of that desperation comes a complete setting aside of fairness and justice and truth. And the very thing that we claim we're after, justice, is the very thing that we ignore because it is unjust to paint the McMichaels as murderers at this point. That's not the business of the church. It is not the business of pastors to stand in, in pulpits and call it that. That's not your job. Doing that is hateful. Doing that is slanderous. Doing that is foolish. If you've done that, you got to walk it back. If you've done that, you have to fix it. Not only is it outright slander at this point, because we did it without knowing the facts, even if it were true, even if it were true, that these men murdered Arbery deliberately and on purpose. You didn't have enough facts to arrive at that when you said it. So you said it without the facts. I don't know how many thousands of pastors did this this weekend. And that is slander. Not only is it slander, slander the very people that you're supposed to be looking out for, which is everybody, but in this case, 
you're trying to look out for the black community, for the black Christian, you're doing them a disservice. You're hurting them. You're not helping them. How are we hurting them? You're hurting them because you are affirming them and validating them in embracing a lie, first of all. All this has turned out to be not true. You have validated their belief. Validating people's embrace, embracing of a lie is a very bad practice. It's something Satan does. Not a pastor who's supposed to love Christ. But we're letting our politics get in the way. The good old boys sent out a letter to their good old boys to stand up and do this because our good old boy club wants to look and be perceived as a, that is a church that is extra sensitive to the plight of the black community. And it doesn't matter if we absolutely slander and engage in hate of the McMichaels, and that's what it is. You cannot avoid that, folks. When you lie about someone, when you slander someone, it's hateful. I don't care if you don't feel hate. The Bible would classify it as hate. It's hateful. We think we confuse hate with anger or rage or bitterness. That's not the biblical definition of hate. When you treat two people completely differently in, for, for unjust reasons, that's hate. And that's exactly what's going on here. This is hate. This isn't justice. This is something else completely. And the entire SBC seems to be on board. J.D. Greer goes on in his center and says, one thing that some of our brothers and sisters of color find difficult is the feeling that they go through this alone. Well, I, I, I have to be honest. I can't understand how any black person would think they're going through this alone at this point because the woke people haven't shut their mouths about this nonsense for years now. This is absolutely ridiculous. You can claim you feel like you're going through it alone all day long. I see what's going on in society, both pagan, and I see what's going on in the church. No one can walk around with their eyes open as a black person and feel like, oh, we're going through this long, this is happening again. Wow. The feeling that their white brothers and sisters remain relatively unaffected by these injustices and mostly unengaged. That's what they... So this is manipulation at its finest. What is J.D. Greer doing? He's painting a false narrative that black people feel like they're all alone in this being uh, treated this way and this armory kid was just an innocent black man. Alfred, it's all a lie. All of that is a lie. All of that is not true. Not one of these white pastors is standing up saying, wait, wait, wait. Let me help you understand something. This is not how you think about this because this is not true. The narrative was false. You've been lied to, folks. This is being used as a political opportunity, part of an agenda. And now, 
SBC president and pastors all across the country are using it to manipulate their people. They first want to shut up any opposition, right? Because they want you to, to, they want you to believe that this, that to take the opposing view, that to actually look at this critically leaves your black brother and sister out there feeling all alone. Well, I got news for you. If me trying to get at the truth makes a black person feel like they're all alone, then we need to talk to the black person about why they would feel that way when really all I'm after is the truth. And they need to own their own thoughts about this, okay? They have to own their own thinking. The lack of trust in the black community regarding white people is something they have to take responsibility for and own. It's something they have to take responsibility for and own. Just like a racist has to take responsibility for his racism, his racist thoughts, his racist views, and repent of it, even though maybe he was raised in that environment for years, or she was raised in that environment for years. We say to them, you have to acknowledge your racism, you have to take responsibility for how you think, and you must repent and turn away from that way of thinking. We have to say the same thing to the black community. You have to own your lack of trust. You have to own these thoughts. You have to own these beliefs. You have to look to Christ, and you have to repent of this way of thinking. But we don't do that. We affirm that way of thinking. We justify it. We validate it. We make them feel like it's okay to think this way, and it isn't. We're doing them a disservice. I will admit that the pastor has a very difficult job on his hands. It isn't easy. It's why pastoring is so difficult. Because you do have to make people uncomfortable. You see, here's the thing that people do not understand. Change is always uncomfortable, most of the time. Very few things, in, on very few occasions, are we able to change things without there being discomfort, especially the kind of things we're talking about in the process of sanctification and spiritual growth. And that's what this is about. That's where the concern ought to be on the believer. Black, white, brown, yellow, it doesn't matter. Just like you can stand up and thunder against people who were potentially raised in the South in maybe a racist household, and you thunder away at them regarding the sin of racism, and rightfully so, rightfully so, you must also thunder away at those raised in black households who are bitter, who have been taught to be bitter, who have been validated in their bitterness, who, have, who, are, who are justifying in some way, shape, or form their unforgiveness of days gone by. And even unforgiveness maybe of something that happened to them in the past. You have to find a way to help them think biblically about these things. And we are not doing that. That is not happening 
with the SBC right now. It definitely is not happening under the leadership of J.D. Greer, Russell Moore, any of these guys right now who are in key leadership positions. They are not serving the body of Christ anywhere near what the biblical mandate is. Okay, let's shift gears to <clears throat> um, someone in J.D. Greer's own church. Now, we've talked about church discipline over and over and over and over again. And I have said repeatedly that one of the biggest problems with the Church of Jesus Christ is the people who are in it, the people who are permitted to remain in it. This concept that the church, the faith community, is open for anybody who just wants to willy-nilly claim to love Jesus, and you can come in and, and stay in without any kind of uh, regard for your behavior, your conduct, how you live your life, what you believe, what you confess to be true, is absolutely foreign to the Bible. In fact, Andy Stanley's at it again down there in, in, in Atlanta, and I'm going to come back to something he said in another episode, because he's criticizing the biblical view of community. Uh, any, at any rate, which is not shocking at all for Andy Stanley. Rebecca Schrader, a small group leader in J.D. Greer's church. She's in a leadership position. Number one, she shouldn't be a small group leader, period. Should not be a small group leader. Not a formal small group leader. So, she describes herself on Twitter as a follower of Christ, mama to two babies on earth and two in heaven. Pay attention. Pro-life, feminist, pro-choice, Christian. This is a woman in J.D. Greer's church who just co-authored a statement of lament in light of the recent murder of Ahmaud Arbery. First of all, this kind of behavior its bad enough that we're authoring statements of lament. We're isolating this case and we're ignoring all the other injustices, all the other tragedies that have happened even on that day and since that day, we're ignoring them. They're not important enough. They don't rank high enough to us. They're insignificant. This is, guys, this is what you do when you focus in on something like this. You cannot help but marginalize everybody else who's suffering these tragedies. This is not wise behavior for the church to engage in. This is foolishness. You are in a local community as a Christian church, as a Christian community. You're placed there so that when there are tragedies there that you are familiar with, people you know, incidents that you can validate, they're right there, they're tangible, they're in front of you. You are located and situated right there to minister to those people. Wherever the tragedy is, 99.9% .9 of the time, there is a community of faith right there, placed there, 
sovereignly placed there to minister to the hurting people, all the hurting people. And the concern should be the gospel and the health of their soul, transforming them to the image of Christ. Shouldn't be political. Shouldn't be good old boy this or that or the other thing. Shouldn't be to virtue signal. Shouldn't be to look a certain way to a certain group of people. All of this nonsense is killing the church. It is pointing out, it is exposing the hypocrisy that is rampant in our churches and especially in our leadership. That's what it's doing. And it is, if you were to look, look, guys, I'll be, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm in the church because I love God. I'm in the church because God loves me first. I'm in the church because God placed me there. I love the body of Christ. That's why I'm there. If I were to take that out of the equation and just look at the church as an organization or an institution without regard for the fact that there are elect people in the body of Christ there that God has called to himself and that I'm called to serve alongside those people, I would have nothing to do with the church based on what I see the church doing. I would laugh at it. I would mock it. I would leave it. It's a joke. That's what I see the visible church doing and being. It's a political entity with a political agenda designed to prop up men who want power and don't want to give it up. Want They want credibility, celebrity, power, money, influence, want to feel good about themselves, and that they engage in the behavior that will get them those things. This is obvious to any reasonable person who wants to really think about it. Now, don't misunderstand me. There are elect pastors who are filled with the Holy Spirit who are leading godly communities. This isn't everybody in the church. I'm talking about the visible church that is out there that you can see that is made up both of God's elect and unregenerate people. They're not in the covenant, but they are in our churches. I say all that to say this. Rebecca Schrader is a confessed pro-abortion female who claims to be washed in the blood of the Lamb, who claims to love Jesus, who claims to be a Christian. And she happens to be a leader, not just a member, a leader and a member in the church of the president of the SBC who knows where she stands on these issues and he does nothing. And one of our biggest problems in the church is a lack, is the lack of discipline. This is not an op- church discipline is not an option. If you want to be a true church, one of the components is legitimate, genuine discipline in the body. If you want to be a real church, you run Rebecca Schrader out if she refuses to repent of her position. You throw her out. You counsel her, you love her, you talk to her about the sinfulness of being pro-abortion, and if she refuses, you run her out. Now, all of you pastors who are pals with J.D. Greer, I can tell you right now, if I were a friend of J.D. Greer, he and I would have had conversations that would have either caused him to stop saying so many stupid things and writing so many stupid things and engaging in activities that were so contrary to the clear teachings of Scripture, or we would no longer be friends. And it's probably, sadly, the latter. We would probably no longer be friends. 
because I wouldn't tolerate this out of a pastor. If I knew you were a pastor who knew that there were members in your church that were pro-abortion and you did nothing about it, I would have zero respect for you. None. Absolutely not an inch of respect for you. If you can't even stand up for the truth of, of, of the fact that murdering babies is a sin and you can't even purify your body of that kind of sin, what's it going to take? And here we have the president of the SBC with a member in his church who justifies the butchering of babies. I don't care if she has uh, cases where she might say, I don't know if she does or not, might say that it's not okay. Well, let's take a look here. And uh, I, don't, I don't know that I can even say this about her. I'm trying to paint her in a, in a better light. She writes, abortion shouldn't be viewed in absolutes, regardless, regardless of what the church or politics tell you. Hmm. My personal religious beliefs that life begins at conception shouldn't impact your beliefs or ability to make your own decisions. Do you hear that? She is unwilling to impose her beliefs on others. What about her belief that unless you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to hell? I mean, this is the kind of nonsense that you have. And her point is we're not a Christian nation. Her point is that she's trying to say, I can't impose Maybe she's trying to say that. I don't know what she's trying to say, for crying out loud. I agree that I cannot take my personal conviction and physically restrict a woman from getting an abortion. I can't do that. But I can tell her nose to nose, eyeball to eyeball, that she's committing murder and God's going to judge her. And she should not do this. She better not do this. This is the insanity of it all. Rebecca Schrader is... Not good for the body of Christ for that reason. She would be considered a toxic element in the body that should be removed. Because if you do not remove the leaven from the lump of dough, it's going to contaminate the entire lump. J.D. Greer is supposed to be a man, and he's supposed to be a leader. And in my opinion, he isn't much of either. Now, if you're a pastor, you're a shepherd, you're looking at this situation in Georgia. Number one, it isn't a tragedy, now that we know all the facts, it isn't a tragedy that really sticks out above other tragedies. It is not a tragedy that has elements that should cause it to rise above other tragedies. Well, what do I mean by that? I mean, let's say that also on February 23rd, a dad who was angry with his wife who has left him decides that he's going to kidnap the six-month-old baby and kill it, and he does so. That 
That is a tragedy that elevates up above these other tragedies because a, an innocent baby was brutally murdered at the hands of its own father. Or a mother drowns her five children in the bathtub or plunges a car off a cliff into a lake and drowns her own children. These tragedies stick out and rise above. The Arbery tragedy is a tragedy among tragedies. It has no special components to it that should make it stand up and be different. 18 black boys stomping on a 15-year-old black girl is a tragedy to me that rises above the typical tragedy of two white guys get into a fight with one another, one of them stabs the other in the heart, and the other one dies. That's a tragedy. Two black guys get into a fight with each other, one of them pulls a knife and stabs the other one in the heart. That's, that's a tragedy. We love and pray for both families because we are sure that there are moral people on both sides whose hearts are broken. But they're not tragedies. The black scenario, the white scenario, they're the same. They don't rise above one another. They're tragedies among tragedies. The, the little girl who got stomped on the sidewalk rises above. The infant who would, who would be drowned by its own mother rises above. It's elevated. Why is this one being elevated? I've talked about it already. It isn't because people are interested in justice and are afraid that justice isn't happening. Go over to Conversations That Matter. There's two recent YouTube clips that John Harris put up that deal with this really, really well. If you're interested, if you're interested in justice, go watch them. If you're not, hang on to the narrative that is a lie and continue to slander people, continue to believe what you want to believe, and by all means, don't let the truth or facts get in the way. Go ahead. Cheer the, the Black Panthers, as pernicious an organization as that is, as they roll into town with their uh, automatic weapons and their military BDUs and intimidate people. For Pete's sake. It's absurd. If you're a pastor, you have to look at this and help everybody think biblically. Think wisely. It is an opportunity for the church to shine her light. It's an opportunity to love and to minister grace and compassion and mercy on everybody, on both families. If J.D. Greer cared about love and compassion, he wouldn't have left out the McMichaels, but he did. If the SBC really cared about everybody and they really cared about love and compassion in the gospel, they wouldn't leave anybody out, but they do, don't they? They are leaving people out, aren't they? They're talking about the Arbery's and not mentioning the, the McMichaels family. Don't say we're praying for the McMichaels family too because that would make the black community mad because you're appearing insensitive to their situation. You're, you're, you're making it seem like this is the same. Sorry, folks, it is the same. I'm sorry. It is the same. It is the same. Stick your manipulation in your ear. That's what that is. It's trying to manipulate pastors and leaders to take up your cause and treat you special or different from others. Not going to happen. Shouldn't be happening. Unwise, ungodly, unloving, unchristian, hateful, top to bottom. 
If you're going to be a pastor, you get the gospel to both families. You show compassion and mercy and love to both families. You don't call people murderers without knowing all the facts. And if you did, you back it up. You go backwards. You take it back. You walk it back. I don't know how you do that, but you got to do it. You do not prop up a false narrative. You do not do anything to lend support to the embracing of a lie. Now, one final thing. A jury's going to see this if this goes to trial. They're going to look at all the evidence and they're going to look at everything in light of Georgia law. Maybe there's something in there that gets these two guys convicted. Maybe not. I don't know. I am a disinterested party. If that happens, I trust that justice was done. And I trust the explanation will be reasonable and easy to see. But let's suppose that these men are acquitted. History tells us that when that happens, when a white man is acquitted of a perceived wrong to a black man, whether or not, it doesn't matter if a jury exonerates these men. It doesn't matter if the justice system says they really were within their rights to do what they do. The black community has a history of responding in a way that is violent. And I don't mean everybody in the black community, an element of the black community uh, has a tendency to respond with violence and destruction. Just know this, pastors, you're supposed to be reaching out to people in an attempt for reconciliation, forgiveness, love, truth. Just know this, if you're taking up this cause and you're doing so prematurely and unwisely and you're showing all kinds of prejudice and favoritism away from the truth, you're ignoring the truth, you're not really interested in justice, you're interested in looking a certain way to a certain group of people, you are culpable for adding to, propping up, and feeding a mindset that will eventually, if history repeats itself, actually explode in a lot of unjust behavior, a lot of immoral behavior burning of businesses, cars. I wouldn't want to live in that community in Georgia if these men are acquitted for fear of what might happen. And I would say that you better have a very serious presence of police or the National Guard in that town when that verdict is rendered. Because if you don't, you're going to leave those people in a very bad place. And all the SBC pastors and leadership who are running their mouths right now, slandering people and engaging in hate, are going to be just as much to blame for this as anyone else. Because your job is to steer people away from that kind of mentality. And when you stand up and do what you're doing right now, you are not doing that. You are not doing that. I pray that if you are a pastor in the SBC and you're listening to this, I pray that this kind of really catches your attention. If you, and if you haven't seen 
all of the background and evidence and the timeline for this incident, you need to go over to Conversations That Matter. Uh, John did a great job of documenting that, cataloging that, and he walks through the steps. And then you need to figure out a way to help your people think biblically about this and act like a Christian and be a leader, be a man, have some guts and do the right thing. Say the hard thing that needs to be said. Don't talk about saying hard things and then, and then never say hard things. Calling the McMichaels murderers isn't a hard thing. That's pretty easy in this environment. It's a hard thing to stand up and say, we really can't say they're murderers. We can't even say they weren't justified in what they did at this point. That's a hard thing, but it's true. It's, it's easy to join the mob. It's hard to go against them. It's easy to parrot what the good old boys want you to parrot. It's hard to stand up against the good old boys and say, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. And here are all the reasons why. And you shouldn't do it either. Stand up to that garbage. Stand up to that foolishness. Love God by loving the people he placed under you. And you love them by telling them the truth so that their lives and their thinking is transformed more and more into the image of Christ. God bless. This podcast is part of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network, Biblical Christianity's marketplace of ideas.